I have no idea what my kids will look like when they grow up, how their features will change, what they'll do for a living, which books and movies they'll enjoy the most, who they will love. I can guess, but it's really impossible to see these things looking forward. But looking back is something different. Looking back, we can often see in children the first glimpses of the adults that we know. Often at graduation ceremonies or wedding receptions, landmark birthdays or funerals, we have slideshows of pictures from a person's childhood. Ideally, there are some embarrassing ones, some adorable ones, some hugging siblings or mischievous glances. Even if you have only known the person being celebrated as an adult, you can look at those pictures of them as a child and say, "There they are. That's a little version of the person." I know. I keep pictures of my children that I hope to use in a landmark slideshow someday, but I have no idea yet which ones will make their adult friends say, "That's the Everett I know. There is the Elsie I know." I'll find out when they're older. This story about Jesus is a bit like that. Luke didn't know Jesus as a child. He didn't know him in person as an adult either. He knew people who knew Jesus. Gathered their stories together and arranged them as a narrative, so that we could get to know him the way his closest friends and followers knew him. He includes this story about Jesus as a 12-year-old, looking forward to the person he would become. In Luke's gospel, this is the first time we actually meet Jesus. We have almost three whole chapters of preparing to meet Jesus, announcing his coming, recording his birth. But this is the first time we encounter Jesus Himself in the text, and for those of us who have read to the end of the story, we can look at it and say, "There is a little version of the Jesus we know. Look at all the things He is becoming." In this passage, we see Jesus growing to be the person God sent to change the world. I think if I didn't know this story already. I would expect it to be very different. I would expect something like Encanto, the newest Disney film, which my family has watched seven times in the last two weeks. There's a magical house in a beautiful village in Colombia, and every member of the family has their own miraculous gift: growing flowers, lifting heavy things, healing wounds with a meal, changing the weather. I would expect Jesus' childhood to be something like that. Little Jesus playing doctor and actually healing his friends. Sad Jesus throwing a tantrum that turns into a thunderstorm. Or maybe, especially if it was Mark's gospel, the powers couldn't be out in the open like they are in Encanto. It could be more like Frozen, with a preteen Jesus shut up in his room, trying so hard to hide his eternal godliness, which is seeping out of him and fills the room if he's not careful, hiding out in Nazareth. Not letting anyone know the family secret, at least, not yet. There are stories like that about Jesus in other early Christian books. They're usually called the infancy gospels because they focus on Jesus' childhood. They're probably written later than the canonical text, and none of them were widely accepted as scripture in the earliest Christian communities. There might be some very old nuggets of authentic Jesus stories in them. But they were excluded for their own reasons. 
It might be because the Jesus in them just isn't very much like the adult version. Once he makes little clay birds and breathes life into them, just for fun. Another time, he and a friend are playing and run into each other, and Jesus curses his friend, who drops dead, and Jesus has to resurrect him. They're incredible stories for showing how Jesus was always divine, but they don't really introduce us to the man his disciples knew and loved, the one Luke wants us to get to know, the one we as Christians follow. The story has no miracles, no visible proofs of Jesus' divinity, but it does so show Jesus as someone who belongs in the temple and claims a special relationship to God as his father. Much of the book of Luke so far has taken place in the temple already. Zechariah's vision, Jesus' dedication, the prophecies of Simeon and Anna. The temple is a place that Jesus and his pious family, his parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, half-siblings, went every year. It was a spot on earth that they went to worship. It was a place where he fit right in. Most of the gospel stories take place in the countryside, in the villages. Jesus himself grows up far from Jerusalem and has a distinct rustic accent. Most of his adult ministry takes place out in the Wild West. He spends a lot of time in the homes of people with shiny and not-so-shiny reputations. You can find him visiting the places others are afraid to go. The side of the lake where the Gentiles raise their pigs. The spot outside the village where the lepers congregate. But when Jesus did go to the temple, he knew what he was about. He knew his Torah inside and out. He was deeply Jewish and deeply religious. Preteen Jesus was a rabbi in the making. Sometimes we see Jesus as coming to abolish Judaism and establish Christianity, or coming to abolish organized religion and replace it with something else. Neither notion would have made any sense to 12-year-old Jesus or to adult Jesus. The temple is his father's house, and he wonders why his parents bothered looking anywhere else for him. The trouble he causes there as an adult is not because he does not feel at home in the temple. It is because he feels completely at home in the temple. It is his home, and he will reform it. He will run it. He will make himself the center of it. He will fulfill it. What else do we see of grown-up Jesus in this adolescent story? Well, we see someone who draws people to himself with his words. Not every 12-year-old in Jerusalem attracts a crowd. In fact, we can probably assume that no other 12-year-old is attracting this kind of attention. He has a way of speaking that makes people gather around, pay attention, stick around to see what he will say next. There's a story that the ancient Jewish historian Josephus tells about himself. And in that story, he tells his readers that the teachers and priests in the temple used to ask him questions about the specific of Torah, even though he was only 14. Maybe it was true. Probably it was exaggerated. Either way, he shares the story to impress. Grown professional men don't marvel over how learned young boys are. Josephus is showing off. Even if Jesus wasn't the only boy Jesus in the temple, 
he was still different from Josephus in one important way. Jesus wasn't answering anybody's questions in this story. He was asking them. He was learning. He was studying. He was questioning, prying, grappling, pushing back, and he was listening. Jesus was not a cocky, young know-it-all like I was at his age, and might still be. He was actually humble. He was there to learn. And the way he did it impressed the grown-ups. Jesus never loses his talent for asking really challenging, meaningful questions. Even when he is an adult, when he is a rabbi, when he is an expert theologian debating with the top scholars of his day, starting fights in the synagogues and causing scenes in the temple, he often falls back on asking questions. His questions change our perspective about what the problem is. They shift the conversation in a new direction. They lead us down a different path than the one we started on. He does this when speaking about the Torah. What do the scriptures say? How do you read them? How is the son of David also Lord over David? Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil? Is it what goes into a person that makes them unclean or what comes out? Is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob the God of the dead or of the living? He also does this talking to people, individual people, about their lives. Who do you say that I am? Who do you think needs a doctor the most, the healthy or the sick? Why were you afraid? Do you love me? Jesus is always drawing a crowd with his words, always changing lives with what he has to say, but often he isn't giving a revelation or making an accusation. Very often, he is teaching us to ask the right questions. Now, I want to tell you one of my pet peeves with children's television shows. The thing that can make me skip them, turn them off, try to get my kids hooked on something else. It's when the parents in the show are just too perfect, too capable, too unlike how I am as a parent. If you have ever seen Llama Llama, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh no, we have six kids who all have different ideas about what to do on Halloween. Let's tell our parents. They can plan all six totally unrealistic Halloweens and get them all done today. Hooray! Thanks, Mama Llama. No, thank you. Elsie loves a little girl with a YouTube channel. This little girl is a great singer. She goes to Disney World all the time. She has every princess dress. She has toy companies send her free toys just so that she can play with them on her screen. Her dad is also a vocalist and owns his own company. Her mom parents four kids without breaking a sweat, bakes and plays piano. I spend so much time telling Elsie, just know that we are never going to do what they just did, ever. No, thank you. I hate these shows because they are not showing my kids what real parents are like, what real, good, caring, tired, trying, middle or working class parents are like. Jesus in this story is not like that. He's a real, human 12-year-old. He may be without sin, he may be God incarnate, but he still has to learn. He has to learn how to assert his independence, 
from his parents without being insubordinate. He has to learn when it's time to head back to Nazareth, even when all he wants to do is stay in Jerusalem. He has to learn that his parents have feelings too, and that he has to empathize with them. He has to learn to navigate his mission as Messiah and the suffering it will bring to those close to him. He has to learn when to break the social rules of society, when to look Joseph in the eye and tell him that God is his real father, and when to submit, when to obey, when to go home. The fact that he is a real person matters because we are supposed to grow to be like him. Jesus is incredible, but not inhuman. He is divine, but his way of being divine is something that we can realize even just a bit in our own very human lives. Because being human means growing. Jesus knew his Torah and worshipped in the temple. Jesus asked questions that left people speechless or led them to a new understanding. Jesus was a real person who had to grow and learn. All of these are sort of generalizations about Jesus, things we know about him as an adult that we see in his adolescent self. There's another very specific way this story gives us a preview of adult Jesus. For three days, the people who were closest to Jesus, his parents, agonized over him. He was gone. Would they ever see him again? They searched, they cried, they pulled out their hair, they vacillated between the most extreme emotions, anxiety for his safety, anger at themselves for losing him, anger at Jesus for being lost, despair. After three days, their anguish was over. They found Jesus. Somehow, he wasn't surprised that they were looking. But he was surprised that they hadn't known where to find him. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? When Jesus died, his closest friends watched him die and saw where he was buried, and they were in anguish. Would they ever see him again? How could this be? How could they have let it happen? They felt every emotion that comes with the death of a loved one, grief, anger, despair. They looked for him at the tomb, but he was not there. And an angel spoke to them, saying, Why do you look for the dead among the living? He is risen, just as he said. After three days, they began to see Jesus again, in the garden, on the road, in the dining room. I imagine Mary, later in her life, telling the story about the time Jesus was missing. Those were the longest three days of my life. Well, at least until he spent three days dead. That was worse. So what is the point of all of this reminiscing? Why do we sit down with Luke to look at pictures of Jesus when he was a child? Why does it matter what Jesus was like? It matters because if we want to follow Jesus, we need to learn something about what he was like. He is our model for the life of faith. 
but sometimes it seems as if he's not very relatable. He was God incarnate. He lived in a very different time and place. He is better on his worst days than I am on my best. But this story about a young Jesus invites us to see past that, to see the things we can relate to. Jesus did the work of God in ordinary places and in religious spaces. Jesus lives and works in dining rooms and temple courts, dusty streets and synagogues. People have surprisingly mixed feelings about finding Jesus in church. Some people only expect to encounter him in church, in song, in scripture, and are surprised when he shows up anywhere else. Many people go to church, but don't expect to find Jesus there. Church is a place to find friendship or half an hour of childcare, but not a place to encounter Jesus. Others don't go to church because what they have found when they were there has not been like Jesus at all. It has been pain, abuse, exclusion, derision. But Jesus actually is in churches, whether or not we are paying attention. He's at home in the singing, the reading, the preaching, the candles, the pews. We can follow Jesus in church. And Jesus loves asking questions. The tougher, the better. The life of faith means asking, wondering, wrestling with what you are taught. It means admitting you don't have the answers and learning. It means letting Jesus question you, letting him stump you. Often pastors feel intimidated by questions they can't answer, but Jesus was not like that. We can follow Jesus in our questions. Jesus was fully human, and Jesus did have to grow. He did learn to be who he became. Human life, growing up, learning to empathize with others, solve conflicts, assert ourselves, apologize, are all things that Jesus has done before us. We can follow Jesus in our regular human growing pains. And sometimes, following Jesus is simply agonizing. Sometimes it feels like a party, a breakthrough, a miracle, a chain broken, a candle relit. But there are times that it means looking for him for what seems like forever, not knowing if you'll ever find him again. The feelings that go with that can last so long that when he does finally turn up again, resurrected, walking down the street, eating breakfast with you, preaching again, you are genuinely surprised to see him. We can follow Jesus even when we cannot find him. May the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Amen.